1: You're listening to the Indo-Daily. Now, a special episode from our sister podcast, The Bell Tell. The terrorist threat level in Northern Ireland is always under review. And now MI5 has decided to raise it from substantial to severe. MI5 raises the terrorism threat level in Northern Ireland. It means an attack is highly likely. The threat level review takes into account a range of factors and recent incidents. In recent months, we have seen an increase in levels of of activity which has targeted police officers and also put a risk to the lives of children and other members of the public.
0: This is mainly focused upon the likes of the police service and the prison service and other agencies but the community should be concerned that terrorists want to disrupt our life.
1: It comes after a senior police officer suffered life-changing injuries after being shot by the new IRA in Oma.
0: Two gunmen approached John. As he was putting footballs into the boot of his car, the gunmen fired multiple shots at John. John
1: ran a short distance before falling to the ground when the gunmen continued
0: to fire shots at him. John's own son was with him and saw everything that happened.
1: The US President Joe Biden says he's still coming here to mark 25 years of the Good Friday Agreement despite the heightened threat. Another question on Northern Ireland. The Nor- Northern Ireland is increasing terrorism threat levels which is severe. How concerned are you about that and will it impact your plans to visit? No, they can't keep me out. What does this all mean for you? How do MI5 make these assessments? And have they taken their eye off the ball? I'm joined by our security correspondent, Alison Morris. Alison, once again, you're very welcome to the Tell. As we've just said, MI5 has raised the terrorism threat level to severe. Now, what does that mean in real terms?
0: There are five levels of threat that MI5 are responsible for assessing. Um, and they reduced it last March. That was the first time it had been reduced since um, 2010. And that was because there had been a real lull in the type of sort of terrorist and paramilitary attacks that had taken place. Like, I remember doing a story at the end of 2021 where there had been the lowest number of bombing and shooting incidents since the Troubles began in 1969. Um, and so the threat level was reduced. But within days, the UVF then hijacked a van on the Shankill. They forced the, the driver, um, a tradesman, to drive what he thought was a, a, a viable bomb. It was a very elaborate hoax to the Hoping Centre, which is at the interface there between Ardine and, and the Shankill. And at that point Simon Coveney, who was the then Irish Foreign Minister, was given a speech. His security had to get him offside very quickly and that was all linked to the protocol. So within days already that sort of error of optimism around the reducing of the death threat was, you know, shot. Um and then we have had an increase in distant Republican activity. To be very clear, because I know that people, you know, locally will be saying, Well, Lord Spark military is very active at the minute. There's a feud going on in Nords and North Down. Um That is not what this is about. This is about MI five only assess the threat of the threat to national security. So a threat to the security of the country, if you like. So in England, when they would be assessing the threat level, they'd be looking at, you know, potential distant Republican attacks in England, but also looking at Islamic terror and also domestic terrorism, as in maybe like far-right attacks and things like that. They don't look at uh, criminality, that's that's just domestic crime so what's going on with loyalism and newton that sort of loyalist feud that comes under domestic criminality MI5 have no concern over two drug gangs fighting with each other, they do have a concern over anyone who is threatening the state or threatening to attack you know people who work for the state as in police officers prison officers, anything like that so this is purely what this threat's based on
1: MI5 is a secret security service they're spooks as we sometimes describe them Can I ask you to give a value judgment on this assessment? I mean, some people you could be, I mean, you could be quite um, cynical. I mean, in terms of how legit is this? How straight is this? How can we know there isn't some propaganda reason behind this?
0: Well, look, if, you know, we were all to put our tinfoil hats on, we could say that every time there is reduction in budget or reduction in police and numbers or reduction in MI5's budget, that something happens or the terrorist threat is increased. Um, But MI5... the the threat level is sent by something called the Joint Terrorism Analysis Centre and they take into consideration attacks that have happened, intelligence and remember MI5 would have a lot of operatives within a lot of those terrorist and paramilitary organisations. Is there propaganda value to be had from raising or lowering the threat level, well, yeah, we're sitting here talking about it, so clearly it's newsworthy. It does garner um, news, and especially at a time such as this, we're just weeks away from the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, and so therefore any change to the threat level is going to be of interest. Um, but, I mean, there, there are ways and means. There, there are spooks, and for that reason it's, it's secretive. But, you know, it doesn't take a genius to work out what it is they use to assess that threat level. And the attack on... Um, DCI John Caldwell in February will have fed into this. There was um, a improvised device thrown at a police patrol in Strabane that will have fed into this. But, I mean, in terms of, of what we have came from and the paramilitary activity and the terrorist activity that existed in the past and what we see now, it's still quite low-level attacks, very sporadic attacks. But what I would say is that potentially it's not that the threat level has increased it's that the threat level potentially possibly shouldn't have been downgraded when it was. They maybe jumped too soon to downgrade the threat level.
1: So to be clear, in a sense, um, perhaps I'm given MI5. Ultimately, they're civil servants, and someone has someone or a group of people have sat down and made this report as they do periodically. That's their job, and they base it on assets or or or, or informants. Uh, whether in the community or in the organisations electronic surveillance I take it as well are there any other type of are there any other types of ways that there's, they would gather Yeah, there's a
0: lot of uh, they also would have very close ties, obviously with the PSNI with the, the terrorism unit of the PSNI um, and they are heavily involved in covert activity I mean you sometimes wonder, despite the fact that we know that there are still informers and that quite a large section of the the MI5 budget goes to pay informers, is there really even any need for them in a modern context because surveillance now is so sophisticated um, and listening devices are so sophisticated, they're not what they used to be. But we have this situation here where when we have court cases that are driven by MI5 covert surveillance, they tend to get very messy very quickly when they get to court because MI5 will... Often refused to give details of their methodology of how they collected that information. They won't hand over maybe the original devices. They'll give copies of whatever it is they've recorded. Um, they're very secretive about their means and ways and so therefore defence barristers tend to try and pick holes in anything that's recorded by MI5. Um, interestingly and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, one of the longest running court cases currently still live through the courts of Northern Ireland which is coming in to its ninth year is that of Colin Duffy, Alex McCrory and Harry Fitzsimmons who are alleged members of a distant Republican organisation. They were arrested in connection with a shooting on the Crumlin Road and there was covert surveillance presented of video and audio, which is alleged to be the three, but um, in the days that I sat through the court cases, the MI5 operative, who was there given evidence behind the screen, refused to answer a lot of the questions that were put to him. But even from then till now, you can see how their technology has even improved because the recent cases we have in terms of the sort of Dennis McFadden, MI5 sting where members of the new IRA were arrested. The surveillance in that is crystal clear. It's like going to a cinema and watching a film, whereas the surveillance in the the Duffy cases are extremely grainy and and not as clear. So it's advancing all the time. They do have ways and means. And it's it's also been speculated that MI5 use this place as a bit of a training ground. You know, they send their new operatives here, they check, they test out new technology, new methodology, and they use this place almost like a bit of a training ground for them to send people or send spooks out into the world to do other kinds of covert surveillance, having trained them on the main streets of Belfast.
1: You've written MI5 employs approximately 5,000 people, an annual budget of £2.4 billion, that's with a B, and they spend around 20% of that in Northern Ireland. Now, when we look at the, the threat level posed by dissident Republicans, and we're not minimising that, but in terms of, well, they have to keep an eye on foreign agents. Uh, they have to keep an eye on uh, Islamic terrorists, far-right groups. 20% of the budget spent here is, it seems extravagant really
0: so It's a lot of money isn't it and I'm not sure where a lot of that goes to I mean it's not all being paid for informers it's not all being paid on wages it is a considerable chunk of their budget which would then sort of maybe fit into that idea that they do use this place to train people and they do send more people here than are potentially needed um, during the, the conflict and the years after that they would have been looking at paramilitary organisations right across the board. Now we know that the, the vast majority of their time is spent on dissident Republicans because they are considered a threat to the state Brexit sort of probably changed that because we've had statements from the UVF, you know, saying that their ceasefires aren't stable. We've had threats to Irish foreign ministers. We've had people who have appeared in court charged in connection with um, explosive devices who have been told are connected to loyalist paramilitary. So that would have put them back on MI5's radar. But for the majority of their work, it's clear that it's it's focused on distant Republicans.
1: And there have been raids, especially in the Northwest in recent days, and with uh, weapons and ammunition have been... Thank <laughs> you have been found in the, in, in the, those and are, those, are, those are the subject of if, if you knows. hear
0: searches that are intelligence led we know that that comes through that sort of covert surveillance a lot of the surveillance that they have won't ever make it into court, it's used for intelligence purposes it's used to identify people, it's used as you said to find weapons and things like that but it may not ever appear in evidence in court because they don't want to reveal how they gathered it, who they gathered it off and sometimes revealing that evidence would by just by Jigsaw identify the person who handed over that information. So, a lot of this, we don't know where this intelligence goes. I mean, I do crime and security journalism, and people would often joke when they're speaking to me and say, Is your phone bugged? And my answer would usually be, Well, if my phone isn't bugged, they're not doing their job very well, are they? I don't know if it is. I remember asked the chief constable, Did he have a ripper application to bug my phone? He told me he wouldn't be telling me the answer to that. So, I'm still unsure. Um, and there but, it is sitting in but front yeah. of us. <laughs> But if they're listening, they're just listening to me and you having a chat about the threat level right now, aren't they? But, if, I mean, phones are, you know... Well,
1: if they are listening, I hope they do it on Spotify so it shows up in, in our download statistics.
0: <laughs> well, I often say majority of that will just be, you know, recordings of my mother complaining about my father during the day. But apart from that...
1: We have discussed on this podcast before uh, the MI5 spy Dennis McFadden. And his, and it has been described in print and in podcasts and everywhere else as Dennis McFadden crippled the new IRA. The new IRA seemed to have gained in strength. You seem to have suggested perhaps in print did MI5 take their eye off the ball, buoyed by their recent successes?
0: did they pull Dennis McFadden out of his undercover role too quickly is is it also something that's worth considering so Dennis McFadden you know for anyone who hasn't listened to that podcast and I suggest you go back and find it and do listen to it was, was bedded in with an IRA since it was formed he was over a decade he was a member of that he was friends with very senior members he was also member of Sura their political organisation he fronted up a lot of you know justice campaign groups linked to dissident republicans um, he was very, very well embedded. His cover story was that he was a hotel safety inspector because he would go missing for long periods of time. He was also organising foreign holidays where he was taking senior members of distant Republican organisations off on foreign holidays, filling them full of drink and recording them clearly. He had um, during lockdown, he had a bar built in his house and when all the the pubs and clubs were, were shut, he was Entertaining senior members of distant Republicans, people from North Belfast, in his bar at the side of his house. That was clearly all bugged for sound as well. Um, and this is, interestingly, during that very first lockdown, I mean, it's part of my job, the, the police often come and deliver death threats to me and tell me I'm under threat from certain individuals or groups, depending on what I've written about. At that time, I got a, a threat. Police came to the door and said I was under threat. And I spoke to somebody who worked for like a sort of restorative group who said well I've discussed this you know with people from the NRA and they said that they hadn't threatened you, it was maybe just gossip in a bar where someone was gossiping saying they might be going to attack you and I remember saying, "How could be gossip from a bar, there's no bars open, all the bars are closed. A couple of months later, Dennis McFadden sting, everyone's arrested. Um, we find out that he has a bar in his house and I remember a little light bulb going off over my head, Go, well, <laughs> that was clearly where it was discussed because if someone discussed attacking me or threatening me, um, McFadden is an MI5 um, agent, would have a duty care to report that back and that's how it made its way to my ears. Um, this was such, I mean, if you ever want an insight into her... MI5 work, the Dennis McFadden case is just, you know, textbook almost, completely bedded in, completely trusted by senior members of this organisation. There's red flags everywhere, but nobody seemed to have been picking them up or nobody um, acted on them. Um, He was giving people tickets for Celtic matches. He was, you know, whining and dining, saying he had access to all sorts of money. When they've decided to pull him out and he has disappeared, never to be seen again, Um. They first arranged two stings in houses that he hired in County Tyrone. He hired these from Airbnb. Funny enough, he left a review on an Airbnb website for one of the houses that he had hired and used for the, the MI5 stings. These were completely hooked up by MI5 for sound and visual. Um, The people were recorded in them. At one stage, they heard introduce themselves by their alleged rank within the organisation, which is quite bizarre. But that was him pulled out. And that is what was described to me at the time as sort of taking the head off a snake. So our justice system works very slowly. Those people who are facing very serious allegations relating to those things are either behind bars or in very strict bail conditions. And you could see the impact that had on that new IRA organisation because almost overnight attacks stopped. Um, Any attacks that were were very unsuccessful and sporadic. There was very little activity from them and it was seemed that that was it, they were done, they were neutered, they were done for. But then what happened at the end of last year and the start of this year is you could see that while that was all going on, they were regrouping and recruiting. I know that a lot of older and more experienced members after the McFadden situation walked away and said they were too heavily infiltrated and they wanted nothing to do with it. But that just meant they just recruited young men in their 20s into their organisation. So the question when we're looking at the threat level is did MI5 and the PSNI take their eye off the ball? Did they just assume that they'd won this war with the dissidents and there was nothing else to see here? Or did they, for the sake of grabbing attention grabbing headlines in the McFadden situation, did they pull him out too soon? Would it have been more beneficial to leave them there for another year or two and, you know, arrest all those people, get more people on charges and completely do away with that organisation, collect all their arms. Was it too much too soon? Um will the threat levels raise? So clearly they're now knowing that they're gonna have to go back to square one in terms of the ira Alison,
1: in terms of street level politics, in terms of what's happening out there in people's communities, I mean we can assume um, that the new IRA, for example, are still a small group of people, and you have mentioned um, recruitment, and we do the, There have been incidents, the John, John Caldwell uh, shooting. Above all, I suppose, do, can we detect more support for the for the for CERU or the new IRA on the ground? Is there perhaps something that we're not picking up on?
0: There, there isn't a great deal of support. And, you know, I come from a nationalist community. There wouldn't be, a, you know, a great deal of support. There are people who won't criticise them, maybe, just because they think, well, you know, we wouldn't have criticised other armed Republican groups during the conflict. We'll not criticise them. But privately, when you're speaking to them, there's very little support. I would say at the very, very most, you're talking about maybe 200 um, sort of militant, dissident Republicans, and only about 100 of them who are, you know, involved or have any capability or ability or mindset to go out and do, um, commit acts or commit violence. A lot of them are more or less just people who are supporters and a lot of them are very young. There's very few who have real capability in terms of making bombs or explosives and they do have limited access to weapons as well. It's not a massive threat, but it doesn't need to be a massive amount of people with huge hauls of weapons um, because we could see with what happened with DCI Caldwell, you know, two men armed with guns were enough to almost take his life. Um, they would always say when they're releasing their sort of propaganda statements after these things happen, you know, you just need to get lucky every time, we only need to get lucky once. And the, the, the problem, you suppose, the issue for them is in terms of propaganda, one attack such as that, has ripple repercussions, so it would dissuade maybe young people from joining the PSNI and saying, well, I'm not going to go and do that. It means that normalised policing is set back, community policing is set back, um, and so then in areas where it would be considered a risk, you only see police in Land Rovers, police in clothes, and that there then, it, it sort of stops that normalisation of our society, which is what they want. Um, you know, all of that for propaganda purposes, and then remember, we are in the anniversary year of the Good Friday Agreement. It's 25 years since that, and we're expecting a lot of the great and the good. We know the Clintons are coming. We know Tony Blair's coming. We know Bernie O'Hearn's coming. And we know that the current US president, Joe Biden, is expected to come as well sometime around the 11th, 12th of, of April.
1: I wanted to return to both the Good Friday Agreement and Joe Biden's visit but I wanted to bring your attention to some, certain comments before that and those comments are made by Detective PS former PSNI Detective Chief Superintendent Roy McComb and he is pointing the finger in terms of, uh, no, he, he does point the finger at both sides of the community, uh, applauding the activities, What, in his words, the veneration and applauding the activities of terrorists on both sides of the divide. And he said that there's the constant reveling of IRA songs in pubs, clubs and sporting events, obviously in the nationalist community. Um, obviously, People would have very different views on that kind of thing. People would have different views on history, etc. Does he have a point?
0: Well, I mean, when you do the kind of work that I do and you see the actual real harm that's caused by activities in terms of criminality and coercion, I find people singing songs very low down on my list of things to get myself annoyed about. But I can't understand how if someone was, you know, a victim of the troubles they might find that really hurtful. I do think that probably what is is more damaging is people who try and romanticise what happened during our conflict. I mean, or just today I was speaking to some students at university. Not one of them would be old enough to remember what went on here. And I'm very glad for that. Um, but any of us who did live through it, and know just how bad and how awful, especially, I mean, I've writing something recently and I was thinking about those years near that sort of mid-90s when things just got so awful um, our society was so fine it was turning itself apart when people romanticise that they romanticise it to very young people in their 20s and people who have maybe come from very depraved working class communities, people who maybe don't have a great deal of employment prospects and they they try and make out that they almost missed out on being part of this sort of great struggle or conflict and then bring young people into that and that makes that makes me sad because there is so much that people can do if they feel really strongly politically to advance their causes in a political and in a positive way without risking their lives, ruining somebody else's life or spending years and years and years lying in a prison for absolutely what? You know, that, that to me, I, I think is... And that if those songs maybe are part of that, well then, yeah, I do, I do see how it can be damaging. But if, you know, I also look at the very real harm that's being caused in terms of paramilitary activity with drugs, with coercion, with extortion, I think that all those things are, are a hell of a lot more important.
1: You mentioned Joe Biden's visit. Uh, he was asked about this, um, and he said he's coming. They can't, they can't stop him coming. I just think, given the world view of many dissident Republican groups, I mean, you cannot imagine, you cannot imagine the Provisional IRA ever jeopardizing the relationship with Irish America by doing anything which might uh, harm that in terms of the US president. But can we really say the same about dissident Republicans?
0: Well, I mean, I suppose the point is that Joe Biden has set himself up as a friend of Ireland. He's a friend of this island. He is very proud of his own Irish heritage, very very proud of his own Irish roots. He's making a real point of travelling here on the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. He's going to be north and south during that time. You know, the whole, you know, pomp and ceremony of Air Force One, touching down, of the Secret Service, all of that. We know that he travels with a press pack who travel with him. Um, The Washington press pack come with Joe Biden wherever he goes. And so I can't imagine that any dissident Republican group would be stupid enough to launch an attack against someone who sets himself up as a friend of um, Ireland and of Irish unity at at the end of the day. But at the same time, you can imagine that there's a real opportunity for propaganda there because the world's media are going to be looking here. So even something very small, even like a hoax bomb attack or something like that, it's going to grab headlines. So how stupid are they? I don't know. I mean, nothing to do seems to have much political direction to it. But would anyone be stupid enough to try and capitalise on that momentum and, and that press? possibly. Um, are there really going to be any threat to Joe Biden? Joe Biden travels with a very well-armed crew of Secret Service agents. I don't think that anyone who tries to attack Joe Biden is going to last very long.
1: You also mentioned the Good Friday Agreement, or the Belfast Agreement, uh, 25 years on. Uh, Republicans, the, re- the the dissident Republican threat severe. The UVF uh, grabbing the headlines, expelling their own members, etc., the UDA feuding among themselves, no Stormont, no institutions, no real sign of them coming back.
0: Uh, is there such a thing as a Good Friday Agreement anymore? <laughs> You're painting a real positive picture there, not <laughs> 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 If I was in a good mood when I come in here, I'll not be a moment when I want to leave. Look, uh, the thing is, we can concentrate on all those things. The fact that there is no Stormont, there will be a Stormont again, but... but I would say by the end of this year, it'll just not happen in the in the next few weeks or, or months. Um, we we live in a peaceful a peaceful, and actually our society is much much safer than other places. You know, we have a lower crime level than there are in any part of the UK. Um this is a relatively safe and happy place to live. It's not ideal. The peace isn't perfect. And the peace isn't perfect for a reason because a lot of people either purposely tried to disrupt the peace or they just took their eye off what they were doing and just decided that it didn't need nurture, it would just process itself. And it was called the peace process because it is a a process. It's not a settlement. um, And it needs people to work on it. I do think that we're, I mean, I live through those dark times, this is not even slightly comparable to them in terms of where we are now. Um, my children had a much better life than I did. Their children will have a, a better life as well. Um, but yeah, there, there are things that I think could have been done better. And it sort of made me raise an eyebrow when I don't know whether I just didn't pay attention to what goes on in, in Washington over St. Patrick's Day in previous years. But this year, I noticed the amount of people who were there claiming credit and responsibility for the Good Friday Agreement who had either done all to do with it or, in fact, at times would have been um, the people who were far from beneficial to our peace process over... On the grift over in in Washington, uh, over on the freebies and on the junkets, look, you know, if you're going to take those plaudits, and I don't mind people going and doing that. If someone asked me, did I want a free trip to Washington, I, I, I wouldn't I, be too long packing my bags. I, but, I was going to yeah. say the exact same thing.
1: You know what I mean? I, I'm not going to take an ankle. the graft,
0: no problem. But the the issue is, if you're going to do that, well, then you got to put the hard yards in too. You know, and they they got to actually do the work on the ground and make sure that we are promoting peace. And because there is too much at stake you know there are two. there's too too many lives have been saved in those 25 years to even consider going back and going back to where we were and hopefully we will keep on moving forward and because I do a job that requires me to deal with probably the very worst people in society but I also get to see some of the best and for every for every bad person there's 10 good ones you know there's more good than bad.
1: Alison Mars, security correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. Clips from UTV, BBC, and Sky.